Hi guys, welcome to Beyond the Mask podcast. We were scheduled to have the second half of our 1099 session today, which I was going to be hosting. We do have that recorded and we will have that next week for you. But this week, we're going to interrupt that flow with a special message from ANA CEO, Randy Moore. Randy had a lot to say during our session. We thought it was important to get that message out there. So thank you guys for listening to us, and we'll have the 1099 session next week. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. This is Sharon Pierce and Jeremy Stanley. And it is time to wake up. Today we are talking with Randy Moore, the new CEO, Executive Director of the AANA. Randy, though young, of course, everybody is young to me these days, you know, Jeremy. He <laughs> brings a wealth of knowledge, expertise, energy galore, creativity, and imagination to his new role. His vision for the future of the AANA will surely see this organization, along with its 52,000 members, it will be epic. I promise you that. <laughs> on a note of personal privilege, Randy's first term on the AANA Board of Directors was when I was president, and I immediately recognized his intelligence and ingenuity. So we'd like to welcome you here with us today, Randy. Well, thank you. Thank you for the introduction. I appreciate that. I just wrote it just a minute ago. <laughs> Very good. Easy to write. You know, so. Sharon can ad lib about anything, Randy, as you well know. So. Randy, we really appreciate you being with us today. I have the honor of talking to Randy and Sharon, the CEO and past president of the AANA, and very honored to have you today. So, Randy, we're going to talk today about what's going on in healthcare and the changes and how that's going to impact CRNAs. And I guess one of the big things that is definitely going to impact that is reimbursement. You want to spend a moment maybe talking about that? Sure. It's been a um one of the things I travel around the country and I speak to a lot of students and, and CRNAs and one of the things that I tell them invariably in every talk that I do is that healthcare now is transforming in ways that are literally unprecedented in the history of modern healthcare delivery. We've never experienced so much disruption in such a short period of time, which you know obviously the driving force behind that is the continued implementation of the Affordable Care Act, which is now with its implementation now essentially accelerating specifically or more importantly it's really impacting crnas and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future if you look at the way that we're reimbursed which is obviously a very important topic to any crna or any clinician that's actively being redesigned and that more and more of our reimbursement as crnas is going to be aligned with our quality measures which is a significant deviation from how it was in the past where you just you got reimbursed the exact same amount based on the procedure and the more procedures you did the more reimbursement you would generate for yourself or for the company now that's changing and more and more of your reimbursement is going to be at risk that will continue that will only accelerate one of the things that i really enjoy about my job is i get to go to meetings and and network with other 
leaders in healthcare and the pressure that it's being placed on the healthcare delivery system is profound. And the number one topic and the number one thought on every CEO's mind of a hospital or health system in this country is cost control. And that will invariably impact all clinicians, including CRNAs. Randy, you know, I hear a lot of talk about bundled payments. And can you kind of explain that and what that means to your average CRNA out there? Because I think, you know, I think the average CRNA probably doesn't pay much attention to this stuff. And I think it needs to be gotten across what the ramifications of this could be to CRNA specifically. Sure. Yeah. And that's a great question. And I think you're right. And that when I talk to the average CRNA who's in the trenches, uh, some of them are aware of what's going on. Some of them appreciate the way that these changes are going to impact them, but many do not. And that's something that really concerns me because I think that there's a lot of CRNAs right now who don't fully appreciate how their reimbursement is going to be changing. And even if they're in an employed status where you know they show up to work, they provide outstanding anesthesia care, but their employer handles all of the billing and the reimbursement and all of the reporting measures that are associated with that. And then they go home. Well, I think those days are numbered because the employers are going to feel that squeeze on the reimbursement or they're going to benefit from good outcomes and strong reporting. So the Affordable Care Act has resulted in, in the macro legislation. And I won't go too deep into it because everybody's going to fall asleep as they're listening to it. Uh, but it's You know, there's two arms of that. One of them is the MIPS, right? So those are the quality measures that most CRNAs are involved in. But the other arm is the alternative payment models, which includes bundles. So, you know, back in the day, if someone went in to get their knee replaced, the surgeon would get their cut, the anesthesia providers would get their cut, the hospital would get their cut, et cetera, et cetera, right? All the reimbursement was, not all of it, but most of the reimbursement was fragmented in that nature. Well, moving forward, I mean, in the future, that reimbursement is going to be bundled into one payment. And that means that CRNAs and other anesthesia providers, alongside other clinicians and other stakeholders, are going to have to sit at the table and negotiate what those bundled payments are going to look like. Not only are they going to have to negotiate their bundled payments, but we're all going to be held accountable for the outcomes that are associated with that care. So if your patient has a surgical site infection, if your patient has a postoperative pneumonia or some other complication. And as a result of that, incurs significant medical costs above and beyond what the bundle reimbursement payment is. Well, we're going to have to eat that too. Uh, The hospital is going to have to eat that and the other clinicians are. So it's a brave new world and it's only going to accelerate because as I said, the macroeconomic pressures that are impacting healthcare right now are, they're unsustainable. Like right now, I think healthcare is 18% almost 18% of gross domestic product. By 2025, that's going to be north of 20%. And that's just financially unsustainable. The country cannot cannot sustain on that trajectory. So change is going to come, and it's going to be profound whether we like it or not. So how are you positioning the AANA in this brave new world, Randy, you and the board of directors? What are you guys doing looking forward? Well, there's a variety of different things we're doing. Some of it's just education. That's one of the reasons why we try to get out as much as possible, whether it's the board of directors or other or senior staff, is get out and interface with the members and the leaders and make sure they understand what's coming their way and making sure that they understand that they have to have a seat at the table when these contracts are being negotiated. Another big 
component of what we do is really kind of in the advocacy space. And that's where we're in Washington, D.C. And we're working with the major entities, particularly HHS and CMS, and making sure that our presence is felt there, making sure that the rules and the regulations as they're created and promulgated are favorable to CRNAs. And that's a huge component. We're also, the AANA has undertook a large project with a consultant called Avalair so that we can really fully understand the financial or reimbursement components of the care that we provide. So we're acquiring that data now and we'll package that data up and we'll give it to members who are going to be put in a position where they're going to have to make decisions about how much they're going to be reimbursed when they're sitting at the table and having conversations about bundled payments. So we'll give them that information so they can make informed decisions moving forward. Sounds like there's a lot of things going on. So what TELUS keeps you up at night? And I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but it's just the profound disruption that's happening in healthcare. To me, I find very exciting. And anytime that you see disruption like that or chaos, you know, there's a term that's used, an acronym called VUCA, you know, so volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Anytime you see that, that presents significant opportunity, but it also presents threats, right? So when things are being disrupted, you want to make sure that you're, you have positioned yourself to benefit from that disruption. And I think that we're doing that. When I'm talking about us, I'm talking about the CRNA profession. I think we're really well positioned to be, um, very successful navigating through this disruption. But there's also threats. You talk about telehealth, which is a very important component of modernizing healthcare delivery in this country. But, you know, we certainly don't want to see a situation where there's telesupervision of CRNAs by a physician who, you know, if it's a CRNA in rural South Carolina or rural Oklahoma, we certainly wouldn't want to create a costly and ineffective situation in which a physician in Southern California supervising them. So, we, you know, that's kind of a defensive thing that we're always acutely aware of. So just positioning ourselves to make sure that we know where the opportunities are and to capitalize on those opportunities, but also to make sure that, you know, any threats, any possible threats are dealt with before they materialize. Well, by the time this podcast airs, another one will have aired that we did with Sandy Marie Ouellette and Nancy Marie, who were around the time whenever we got third-party reimbursement from Medicare. And there are those out there who say that we haven't had a big win since then. What would you think be our next big win? Well, you put me on the spot. So <laughs> so I, I would answer that question. I think that there are things that are occurring at both the state and national level that should make all of us very excited. One of the things that I've, I've felt for a long time is and this may be an unpopular opinion, but I think we got to move away from this concept of if they're not all big wins, then they're not wins. This idea that we're, you know, securing direct reimbursement from Medicare was a profound victory that altered the course of this profession, and we should all be very proud of that. Those don't come around too often, those opportunities. And one of the things when I work with our advocacy team here at the AANA and our state and national leaders are really trying to reframe the discussion away from, well, we need a big win, we need a big win. And I start to use the, the analogy of a football game. I really don't think we need to be focusing on Hail Marys and really start focusing on what are the three, the five, the seven-yard runs 
that will get us down the field. Because my concern is if we're fixating on this big win, what are the little ones that we need to be getting to position ourselves, you know, in a cumulative way to have at the end, when we get into the end zone, a big win. So that's what we're really trying to reframe those conversations, both when we work with the state government affairs team, but also the federal government affairs team. I think the big win is actually a series of small wins, such as if you look at, you know, how do we maximize reimbursement for CRNAs at both the state and national level? But more importantly, what are the scope of practice wins in one state, which would naturally result in scope of practice wins in a state that's contiguous to that? What are the small things that we need to tweak in Medicare-related rules and regulations that will position us more favorably for downstream wins? But I do think, to get to the big win question, I think there's two things that are going to happen in, in my lifetime. And I can't tell you when they're going to happen, but I can tell you without a shadow of doubt they're going to happen. One, we're going to get full practice authority in the Veterans Affairs Administration. It will happen. I have no doubt about that. Can I tell you when? No. But it's the right thing to do. Well, it was supposed to be in the fall of when I was president. Then it was the fall of when Juan was president. Yeah. So, you know, anytime in advocacy, Randy, I think most people who are knowledgeable know that that can be a long-term yes, thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And right, right. And I think the other thing that it's going to happen, it's inevitable. The market pressures are too profound. The data is too clear. And the evidence is very compelling is that we're going to secure removal of physician supervision requirements for Medicare reimbursement. I think it is inevitable. Can I tell you when that's going to happen? No. Will it require a change in administration? Possibly. But there's just too much market pressure, downward pressure on the system for it not to happen. Well, Randy, I think it's interesting you used profound disruption because we're seeing disruption in every industry and healthcare, obviously, like you said, being 18% of GDP at this moment and pushing to 20, we all know that something's got to change. And as you look out, I guess the facts really don't lie that CRNAs are the lowest cost provider of anesthesia out there. And, you know, from my understanding, the same outcomes that we have from our friends at the ASA. So, you know, I look at this from an angle and say, all right, you know, all these things are changing, but how is that going to impact the CRNA at a CRNA level? You know, these changes that are happening, what does it mean for that CRNA who is a W-2 employee at a hospital or a group? You know, what does it mean for that CRNA? Well, I think CRNAs right now, and I think for the foreseeable future, are going to benefit from these market pressures. And what I mean by that, I think... Um, their employers, particularly health systems and large anesthesia management companies, are looking to use their anesthesia professionals in a more cost-effective manner. And what that's resulting is, all across this country, there are practices that are now modernizing their practice model. So if they were in a heavily medically directed one to two, one to three, even one to four model, they're really starting to move away from that into more collaborative models where the CRNA is being used to their great extent of their scope of practice because it's good business. There's really no reason why you shouldn't do it other than politics. And the market pressures are so significant at this point in time and will continue to be so that politics are going to start to be less of a barrier in implementing that. So that coupled with the fact that we are now in a workforce dynamic where there's a supply-demand imbalance, and meaning that there's not enough anesthesia professionals at this point in time to meet the demand, 
and I think that will be exacerbated sometime in the near future. And so that does tend to drive salaries up, tends to result in a more favorable job market for CRNAs. But we need to be cognizant that there's some downside risk to that as well. So I think CRNAs right now are, to a large extent, experiencing growth in their salary. They're being heavily recruited while they're in their training. They're being heavily recruited in their current practice settings, and which is a good thing. CRNAs, as I said, are now more and more practicing to the full scope. That means they're doing peripheral nerve blocks more. They're doing putting in invasive monitors and they're monitoring, and they're working more collaboratively with their physician colleagues, or they're working completely independent of an anesthesiologist. So the market is really ripening up for CRNAs, and I think it will continue to do that moving forward. Well, I'm glad you hit the supply-demand imbalance there, Randy. You know, I speak to a lot of CRNAs as well, and I've been around this industry for 23 years in a little different capacity than you and Sharon, obviously. But one of the things that I've seen is that there's always ups and downs. I mean, you know, I remember in 2008, you know, we had CRNAs who were scrambling, who were 1099, looking for W-2 positions. Right. The market dried up, and it's been ups and downs for years. And I think right now, as you just pointed out, you know, we're on the upswing. We're riding the roller coaster up, but eventually something has to happen to meet this supply-demand imbalance. And whether that's going to be CRNAs stepping up to the plate or somehow anesthesiologists and CRNAs or even adding the equation AAs at this point, do you have any guidance about what that looks like in a time frame? I mean, I know I'm asking you to put on your Notre Dame's hat here, but you know, you're in the know, so and I think our listenership would love to hear that from you. No, I think you've accurately defined uh, both the risks and the benefits that are associated with the workforce imbalance. I think one of the things you've talked about what keeps me up at night is uh, one thing, I came from a hospital administration background, and one thing I think most people appreciate, I think, is that in most hospitals, in most health systems, the operating room is the economic engine of those facilities, right? They generate a substantial amount of direct and indirect revenue. And there's not a CEO in this country who will allow an operating room to go vacant because there's not an anesthesia professional if there's not an alternative to that. It just doesn't make sense. So my fear is that we have a situation in which the supply-demand imbalance is so profound that there is an acceleration in the utilization of non-CRNA anesthesia professionals, particularly the assistant kind. So we need to really be cognizant of that. And that's one of the reasons why this year the AANA has under has moved forward with, I think we're spending $1.4 million over the next three years to really start to cultivate the workforce through a variety of different projects. We're creating an advisory panel. We're working with programs and our council on accreditation to identify projects and initiatives that will help support faculty because that's a big variable, a very important variable in workforce. The number of programs, the quality of their education, their ability of students to enter the workforce at full practice, full extent of their practice. So those things are all really important to ensuring that we have the workforce to meet the growing demand. I do think, as you said, that there is a real risk here that if we do not get serious about increasing the pipeline of CRNAs, that there could be a supply-demand imbalance that could be really problematic. I remember the days of, you know, I graduated in 2005, and shortly after I graduated, the market started to dry up, and that was after, obviously, the downturn in the stock market, which caused a lot of people to work longer than they anticipated because their 401ks were depleted. And that certainly could happen now. We're not supposed to get into that yet. 
Okay. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that kind of stuff on the show. Okay? With the financial guy sitting right across from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never mind that. Just kidding. Um, you know, Randy, you've hit on a lot of points, but I know we have talked to Jackie Rolls about the cultural assessment that was done through the organization. And what is the AANA doing to meet the needs of its members? You know, we talked with Jackie a lot about the cultural assessment and some of the data and some of the potential data that you can pull from all of that, which was very intriguing to listen to her talk about that. So what are your priorities based on all of that data? that you guys have been gathering as of late and how are you going to position the AANA for its members going forward? So there's two things that I think I found particularly illuminating about the cultural assessment task force and the recommendations that came from that. And uh, one was that really the organization needs to move beyond paying lip service about being a membership focused organization and actually really redesign itself around the member. And we're actively doing that now. So we've created a new operating model, which really and literally has the member at the center of the model and will result in having the member at the center of every decision we make within the organization. We're actually redesigning the organizational chart and the leadership structure around that. It's probably because I am so passionate about leadership, but I do think there's a direct proportional relationship to the amount that we invest in developing leadership in the profession and the success we're going to have as a profession in the future. I think that that is one of the things that we need to get very serious about as a professional association. And I'm talking about putting CRNAs in leadership positions. Obviously the state and the national associations, uh, the AANA are very important and we need to make sure we continue to invest in, in that pipeline. But I'm also talking about chief CRNAs or CRNAs who are moving into the business world because there's an amazing opportunity there. So about CRNAs who are trained to develop policy and to lobby, CRNAs who move into the C-suite of hospitals and health systems. All of those things need to occur for us to maximize our relevance as a profession and our impact on patient care. And the AANA is starting to create those programs now, including academic partnerships, redesigning some of our meetings. We're doing a variety of different things in that space. So I think we need to work on us. You know, I think we need to work on developing our leadership acumen and, and really invest in that. And I think we really need to get very serious, as I said, about creating a value proposition for our member so that at the end of the year or at the beginning of the membership year, it's a no-brainer for them to sit down and pay their membership because they couldn't imagine their career without the support of the AANA. And so those are the, some of the things that I think are really important to be focusing on in conjunction with all the other stuff that we've talked about as well. Well, it looks like there's a lot to keep you up at night, or I don't even think you sleep, to be perfectly honest, Randy. <laughs> but I do believe in this organization, as you well know. Sandy Marie Ouellette once had a quote that I always thought was totally applicable. Without the American Nurses Association, there would still be nurses. Without the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists, there would not be nurse anesthetists. Uh, I agree with that 100%. So do you have any closing burning thoughts that you want to share with the people who are listening to this before we let you get back to work in your office, as I'm sure you are doing? 
I think I just close on, um, I know some of the things that we've discussed this afternoon have been kind of serious and maybe even a little disconcerting to the listener, but I do feel that there's never been, in the history of the profession, there's never been a better time to be a CRNA. And that should make everybody feel really good. And uh, there's immense opportunity that's being presented to the profession and to CRNAs in a variety of different ways. And I think we're going to experience some significant success as a professional association, but as a profession moving forward. So, and that I would just add that, you know, the ANA is here to serve the member and it's my role. I really am someone who's a strong proponent and believer in servant leadership. And so my job is to serve the board and to serve the staff, but also, and more importantly, most importantly, to serve the membership. So if there's anything that I can do, don't, don't hesitate to reach out to me and let me know. Randy, that's really good to hear since, you know, my wife's a CRNA and I actually got told, I hadn't told Sharon this this weekend, that my daughter Lauren is, she's in nursing school right now and she told us that she wants to be a CRNA and actually we've got her going over to meet with some folks when she's off for break here in December to explore wow. the, the nurse anesthesia career. So we're pretty excited about that. So That's outstanding. That's great news. <laughs> it is. It is. We're breeding them down here. We are. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you joining us today. So I guess we'll sign off. This is Sharon Pierce. And Jeremy Stanley. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Coming up on a future episode of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Joe Rodriguez. And this is Mike McKinnon. And uh, we're going to be talking about the nurse anesthesiologist descriptor. Can't wait to talk to you guys about it. Coming up sometime after October. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else that streams podcasts.